Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship together today, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God, open the Word of God, and turn in the Word of God to Mark chapter 10. As we continue in our journey in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're going to come to a, a very pivotal story of Jesus on the way to the cross. So next week we'll see the triumphal entry, or that'll be in two Sundays rather, and we're going to see kind of where he goes from there. We've already visited the crucifixion, the resurrection during the Easter weeks, and now we're going to look as we go kind of a little backwards in the Gospel of Mark, an incredible story about a man who had no physical eyesight, but had all the spiritual insight in the world. No physical eyesight, but he had vision of what Christ could do if he would simply call upon his name. And so I'm going to challenge us today, even though maybe we don't see, even though we don't know exactly what God is doing, how God is working, and and what his plan and purpose is for us, may we not hold on to our eyesight, but when we have the spiritual insight to know, I just need to call on his name, cry out to God, because he stops, he hears, he sees, and he works. And so I pray that we see, as this man sees, I pray that we see Jesus today. I pray that we know when we call upon the name that is above every name, God can do abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Amen. Amen. If you will with me today as we read the Word of God, let's stand for the Scripture. Stand in honor of who God is and what He has done. And let's start in verse 46 of chapter 10 and see the authority of Christ over disease, darkness, and death itself. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, he was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and began to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now that's interesting. You're going to notice this little side note. Jesus doesn't go get the man. He tells the people to go get the man. And who's the people he's telling to go get the man? The people who told him to be quiet. Right? Notice the humility that has been broken down here, the pride that has been stopped here. He says, hey, y'all have ignored this man, but I've got interest in this man. And so, hey, just because it doesn't kind of suit your time schedule, this is who I came for. And he sends the very people who told this man to be quiet to go get the man. And so they go get the man. After they rebuked him and he cried out all the more, Jesus stopped, said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. In other words, hey, what had happened was uh, uh, Jesus told us to come get you, right? That's our bad. We made a mistake. He is now calling you to himself. And watch this. This is powerful, powerful stuff. And throwing off his cloak. We'll get into that. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on 
the way. This is the word of God. Amen. And let's pray and ask God to use it as we submit to his authority over us. God, we thank you today that you hear us and that you see us. And God, you save us. God, I pray now today that we will hear you. We will see you and we'll be saved by you. May we honor you as we submit our lives to your authority. May your Holy Spirit do the work of God through the word of God right now. In Jesus' name, God's church says, amen. Hey, find your seats today. Keep your word open before you. And I'm going to invite you to take the backside of your worship, God. We're going to follow along and walk through the word of God here together today. And as we get started, let me just tell you again, I'm so thankful just to be a part of what God is doing here Two more baptisms today. Amen. Y'all give God some praise and glory for that. Amen. Come on. We don't ever want to take the work of God here for granted. Uh, The opportunity this past Thursday to visit with another pastor in central Arkansas and really just share the story of what God has done at New Life kind of over the past 10, 12 years. Uh, God has done some mighty things. God has done some mighty works. And what we've seen, despite just obvious growth and despite all things that God has done with our visible eyes, over 600 people in the last 12 years have been saved and baptized through the ministries of God's people here at this church. And so I I just want to honor that today and celebrate that. That's people crossing over like this man from life to death. People who couldn't see, who now have eyes to see. People who were bound for hell have now been given a destination of eternal life in heaven with our Savior. So I love this church. I love what God's doing here. I love you, and I'm thankful to be a part of it just with you in a small way. And so I'm thankful, and I love the bride. But also, just want to take a moment to honor, I love my bride. And so my wife, we've been married, it'll be full, we turn 15 next month. All right, so we're still young, but 15 next month, yeah. And almost 14 of those have been here, and we've been a part of it, but she has just been the most wonderful encouragement. She does more for this church than y'all even know and realize, both for me and for you, and she is just truly just a gift from God. And so would y'all give her some honor this morning? I just want to honor her. I never want to take this church, and I certainly never want to take my bride for granted. So honey, I love you, and praise God for you. All right. Hey, we're going to get started here in the Gospel of Mark I love this story. It's an incredible story of what God does is, again, when we call on his name. And so I want you to see two powerful things in this text, two obvious things that should jump off the page. I want you to see in the first part of this, we see in this man a determined desperation. All right, plug that in, a determined desperation. And so we're going to see that Jesus, as he's coming here again, we're on the way to the cross. Again, next chapter, the triumphal entry. So where's Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He stopped in Jericho. In the Gospel of Luke, we know he stopped in Jericho for a man named Zacchaeus, a little short man that climbed a tree. He called him down, went to his house. He got saved. And on his way outside of Jericho, after Zacchaeus, he finds a man here on the road begging. And so he's on his way to the cross to be a ransom for the sins of the whole world, what Mark 10, 45 says. And on his way, a beggar begins to cry out. We read in verse 46 of our text, they, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... All right, so they're on their way to Passover. All right, they're on their way to Passover. They're there to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover back in Exodus of what God did for his people. And so there's a whole lot of people just kind of passing through Jericho. It's a thoroughway. And as they begin to pass through on their way, a beggar cries out, and he cries out, and his name is Bartimaeus. 
He's a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, being Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, and he was sitting by the roadside. Now, this story is also in Matthew. The story is also in Luke. In the Gospel of Matthew, there t- he tells us that there's two beggars. Bartimaeus is just a spokesman. And so there's two beggars. Bartimaeus begins to cry out. And what do we know about old Bartimaeus right here? Well, we know this man is blind. We know this man is obviously broke. We know he's a beggar because he's broke. And he's been branded by his identity as someone who was broken. Right, that's the status of this man. His name, it says that he is a second or a junior. He's named after his father, which means son of Timaeus. His name literally means son of Timaeus. It's pretty redundant, but that's his name. The, the name Timaeus in Greek means honor, so he could be the son of honor. But the name in Aramaic, which is also the language they spoke, means unclean. Likely, he is the son, not of honor, but he is the son of the unclean. This guy has literally been branded by the broken reputation of his own father, his own family. A lot of us come from broken homes or broken families, and we carry the brand. we got to let go of a lot of the baggage as we walk with Jesus to let go of maybe some of the identity that we have. And so he has this reputation of rejection, and he's been defined by his disability. All right, been defined by that. And because of his shame... And because of his unclean status, what do we know about this man? The only thing he's left to do is to beg. He has no other options. He can't get a job. He can't be a part of culture or society. He certainly can't attend synagogue. In John chapter 9, you remember, they assumed that blindness was a result of sin. His disciples said, hey, Jesus, this man, this blind man, who sinned, him or his parents? Right? Was it his sin or the shame of his parents that brought this on him? And so this man has no other options. But he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. And as he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through, what does he do? He literally begins to scream. Look in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. He's literally yelling, crying out over the noise of the crowd. Again, there's a lot of people. It says in the text, a large crowd was traveling. He just begins to cry out, Jesus, over and over and over. And as he tries to be heard, he shouts an interesting title. He says, Jesus, son of David. Now, we know the name Jesus. That's his name at birth. That's the name his parents gave him. Remember, the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to name him Jesus. Right? He means God saves, Jehovah saves. That's what his name means. But this man gives him an interesting title. He calls him the son of David. Now, why would he call him the son of David? We go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise or a covenant with David who says, I'm going to give you an heir. There's going to be a son that comes down your line, and he will sit on the throne forever. Right? There's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a king. He's going to be the king of kings. He'll be the Lord of lords. This will be the king that will reign for all eternity. And so this man, when he calls out not just Jesus, but he calls out son of David, he says, my Messiah, my king, my savior. This man's calling out, believing in faith that Jesus is the living God. He doesn't just call him Jesus. He calls him son of David because he believes that he is the one who has come. And so don't miss this. He doesn't, again, have eyesight, but he has insight because all these other people have eyes, but he sees what they can't see. 
and he publicly declares that Jesus is his Lord and his Savior. Publicly declares that he's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. He publicly declares that he believes in him. And what's he crying out for? Have mercy on me. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve grace, doesn't deserve love, doesn't deserve Jesus to stop and hear and see. He cries out for mercy because he knows this. I see, even though I'm blind, I see that I'm a sinner and I see I need a Savior. Right? He's got that insight. He knows he needs mercy, something that he doesn't deserve in his heart. Begin to see Jesus before his eyes ever saw Jesus. Right? His heart was seeing his need for Christ before his eyes ever saw the need for Christ. And as he cries out, the people walking with Jesus are so annoyed, they're so irritated by this man, they tell him, without me saying it out loud in church, they tell him the strongest sense possible to be quiet. Right? Just to be quiet and to stop talking, because it goes on in verse 48, he says, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. It's a challenging part of this for church people, because the literal people around Jesus don't see a need. They see a nuisance. Right, the church, the gathered, and not necessarily the disciples, but there's people who are walking with Jesus, they're watching his miracles, they're hearing him teach, and they're like, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. They don't see a need, they see a nuisance. They don't see an opportunity, they see an obstacle. And so they're wanting to just get people out of the way so they can carry on with what they're doing. You ever been guilty of misrepresenting Jesus? Now, I certainly have. I certainly have in the name of spirituality, I've done some things that I've missed the mark on, and these people miss it. I want to challenge you with something, church. Don't see people as an inconvenience. See, see people as an invitation for God to use you in a mighty way. All right? Don't see people as an inconvenience. See people as an opportunity for you to be invited into the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if they stopped and said, hey, you're blind, perfect. I know a guy who can heal you. Right, let me take you to him instead of shutting them away from him. Right, they're, they're people that are stopping people from coming to Christ instead of bringing people to Christ. And so I also want to challenge you, guys, we got to be able to see people not as an inconvenience, but allow ourselves to be interrupted. Be interrupted. You're busy, I get it. But hey, you're on your way to eternity. You can stop for someone and bring them with you, right? All right? You're not too busy here that you can't stop to share the love of Christ, to share the hope of Jesus to say, I see that you're broken, I have hope. You're blind and you're begging, I have an answer. Let me tell you about the love of Christ. And so they miss this opportunity, but Jesus, he does not. He doesn't miss this man because this man did not get discouraged. This man did not deter. This man does not define himself by the people's response. It says, what does it say in verse 48? Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but what did he do? He cried out all the more. He's like, I'm not even paying attention to you guys. Jesus, I don't have time for y'all to tell me. No, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was desperate. He was determined. Even with everything going against him, don't miss this, with everything in the world against him, he did not give up on God. He did not give up on calling out to God. And I want to challenge you kind of with this point of application. Don't let anything block you from his blessing and block you from his breakthrough. 
I don't let anything or anyone ever block you from his blessing or block you from his breakthrough. We see this man, again, determined to be desperate to call out for deliverance, and God provides. But I also see this in the story of Jacob. You go back to Genesis chapter 32. Jacob has got his family all across this river, and as he's about to cross the river himself, God comes down and meets him in the dark. It's the middle of the night, and this man begins to wrestle with Jacob. So God comes down, and they begin to get in a wrestling match, and Jacob is working his tail off to try to overcome the man, but God won't be overcome. And so what God does is he just touches his hip and his hip gets dislocated. And now Jacob is on the ground down and disabled, discouraged and defeated. But what is so powerful when you go read that story is that Jacob, it's like, it reads like this. He's literally being dragged on the ground, not letting go of the ankles of Jesus, not letting go of the ankles of God, right? He's there holding on. He won't let go and he won't let go until what? Until God blesses him. That's what he's holding on to. And so I I don't know your story. I don't know what you're walking in with. I don't know the burdens, and I don't know the struggles, and I don't know the problems. But I just want to challenge you with this. Don't let go of God. Don't give up on what God has for you. Jacob wouldn't let go of God. This man won't stop crying out for God. Don't ever let anything eliminate your enthusiasm for Christ. Don't let anything ever be left behind because God has always something better to offer. So whatever it is, even if you're being dragged right now like a little kid around the ankles of his daddy, just hang on to God. Don't let go, all right? Don't give up. God has a promise. God God has breakthrough. God has deliverance. And God will always provide. His word promises that. Right? His word promises that, that, that for those of us who believe and those of us hang on to his word, he will always provide for us. He will always deliver. And so we see in this man a determined desperation that should encourage all of us, no matter where we are or who we are, to hang on and cry out to God. But here's the second thing I want you to see. We see divine deliverance. All right, divine deliverance. Again, the crowds are passing through. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration And not only are they just passing through, they're also just passing him by. They don't see him. They certainly don't want to hear him. All right, they're just like, be quiet. Let's let's stop talking. And now this man is just stuck. He's just stuck. You ever felt stuck? This is where he is. He's stuck. And when it comes to compassion, the people are as blind as the beggar. But not Jesus. Look at verse 49. Jesus stopped. That's enough to preach on right there. Jesus stopped and he said, Call him, go get him, bring him to me. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. I want you to see this. In your struggle, in your desperate situation, you are not forgotten. You are not overlooked, right? You are not stuck in your own shame. That when you call upon the name of Jesus in humility, you gain an ear with the King of Heaven. Right? He calls upon the name of Jesus. He believes by faith that this is the only one who can deliver, the only one who can save. He calls him by name, and Jesus stops. He brings the crowd. They're moving the direction. He's got what on his mind? The cross. He's got the crucifixion. He's got the burial. He's got death on his mind, and he stops because some man cries out to him by name in faith, Heal me, save me, deliver me, have mercy upon me, and Jesus stops. And so whoever you are, whatever you're going through, you are seen, right? He sees you. 
I know it's easy to be here and feel invisible and feel like no one notices you and feel a lot like this guy. Everyone's just kind of passing me by and no one really knows what I'm going through. But you are not stuck in shame. Jesus always hears. He stops and he saves. Call upon his name. And so Jesus stops. He calls the man to himself. And then it says this. He throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus in verse 50. Here's what our response should be when we know that God is for us, not against us. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he moved. He came to Jesus. Now that cloak is everything. In the Old Testament, even when we were talking about taking stuff from people and making trades, you would never trade a cloak. All right, the cloak was the security of a man. It was kind of like the last piece of dignity that a man could ever have was his cloak. And so this man has security in the cloak, but he's also got safety in the cloak because what he would do as a blind beggar, you lay it out, right? You pass by some people sometimes that have things set up for you. That's where you throw the coins. That's where you throw the food. He's begging. This was his security. This was his safety. This was his everything. And it's between him and Christ. And what does he do? He throws it out of the way, and he runs, not necessarily knowing where to run and how to run. He's blind, but he knows where he's going. He's going to Christ, and he goes, I don't need the security of the world anymore. I don't need to hold on to who I used to be or how I used to live anymore. I'm letting go of everything that I own. I'm letting go of all of my pride and dignity, and I'm throwing it in humility to come bring my life to Jesus. He finds his identity, he finds his hope, he finds his whole life in Christ. And I want you to see this. This is an act of repentance. All right, remember last week, the rich young man, Jesus says, come follow me by selling everything and giving everything up, giving up your security and your safety. And the rich young man said, I can't. I've got too much. There's too much between me and you, and I'm not willing to give it up. And the man walks away from Jesus worse than how he arrived. But this man, he does repent. He's like, I'm willing to throw it all away to follow you. I'm willing to give up this whole world and not forfeit my soul. And so we see this man repents, throws whatever it is in between him and Jesus to get it out of the way so he can find Jesus. And as a result, we're going to see he's going to follow Jesus. That should be everyone's response in here today. Two things, repent or rearrange. Maybe today you need to repent And you need to find out what is that one thing that's keeping me from trusting and finding and following Jesus. Is it my shame that I'm holding on to? Is it guilt I'm holding on to? I've got good news. You've been forgiven. All right, Jesus is going to die, and he has died. He's died on the cross for your sin. And if you call upon his name, believing in faith, repenting, and trusting in the work of Christ for your salvation, you will be saved. So today, whatever cloak you're holding on to, whatever sin and shame you're holding on to, throw it away. It's been forgiven. Repent. And then secondly, rearrange. What have you allowed to come between you and Jesus? What what thing in your life has now become your safety and your security? Where are you finding your identity and all your hope? Maybe you need to move things out of the way so you can truly follow Jesus for who he is. He does that. He repents, rearranges And then after he does that, Jesus said in verse 51, a rather obvious question, hey, what do you you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now we read that and be like, well, duh, he wants sight. But don't miss what he says. The blind man said to him, Rabbi. That may be insignificant to you, but it's a pretty significant part of the text. He says, Rabbi. He says, Master. 
He says, my authority, my teacher, my Lord. So before he ever gets what he wants from Jesus, he's publicly establishing and declaring lordship. Right before he gets the stuff, he's getting the savior. Right before he gets what he wants from God, he's getting God first. Right? So notice that. It's an incredibly important part of the text because what we see here, don't, don't miss this, before he gets the miracle, he gets the master. Right Before he gets his sight, he gets his savior. Before he's changed, he confesses that he is the Christ. Before he's blessed, he believes that Jesus is the son of God. And his allegiance is not dependent upon his deliverance. Right? It's not dependent on whether God works in his life or not. And church, that's the only way we come to Jesus. We don't come to him because he gives us free stuff. We don't come to him because he's a genie in a bottle. We don't come to him because he can do these things. We come to him in humility, declaring that he is Lord. He's master. He is Savior. And so I challenge us as a church family to see this. We worship regardless of our wants. We worship him regardless of our wants. Because our worship's not conditional. This man's worship was not conditional. It's not conditional. I love that about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in Daniel. And Daniel, they're like, hey, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace, and y'all are all going to die. And and they're like, well, hey, listen, even if he doesn't save, we're going to worship him. Even if he doesn't work the way we we believe he will, but even if he doesn't, it's not going to change our minds. They had this unconditional confession, right? this unconditional faith, unconditional allegiance and submission to God to follow him no matter how he answered their prayers. And this man is saying that at the very beginning, Rabbi, before you ever work in my life, you're worthy of my worship. Whether you do that or not, I'm going to worship you. And so I challenge you, church family, that God is worthy of our worship no matter how he answers your prayers. No matter how he works in your life, whether he works the way you want him to or the way that, that doesn't feel like he's there, he is worthy of your worship. You worship him no matter what. And in this confession of unconditional faith without any de- dependence upon deliverance, Jesus reaches out. The Gospel of Matthew says he touches his eyes. The Gospel of Luke tells, Jesus tells him to receive his sight. And here in, in the Gospel of Mark, it says immediately he received his sight. Immediately he received his sight. It says in verse 52, go your way, your faith, not my miracle, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Where's he going? He's going to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going. He followed him on the way. He's going to where? Going to Jerusalem. This man opened his eyes and recovered his sight. And the first thing he sees is Jesus, <laughs> the miracle maker, son of God, Hosanna, lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. He sees him face to face. The next thing he sees, crucifixion. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to follow him on the way. He's going to see him brutally murdered, crucified for his sins. And in my sanctified imagination, my sanctified speculation, knowing he's on his way to follow Jesus, he's going there. He's probably going to stick around. He's going to see the resurrection. Jesus is going to rise again in three days, right? So this man sees Jesus, and he sees it all. And what we see here, he's got this testimony of transformation. Because I want to challenge you with this. 
When we have faith that makes us well, when we are saved by faith, here it is. Finding Jesus means you follow Jesus. All right? The evidence of your salvation is that you're willing to go where he goes. The evidence that you've truly been transformed in your testimony is that you're walking where he walks. You're following him in obedience. And so one way that Pastor Ed Newton, he was here for our men's conference, he posed this question about this text. If you got what you wanted from Jesus, would Jesus get what he wants from you? If you got everything you wanted from Jesus, would Jesus get what he wants from you? Your life, your heart, your allegiance, your worship, your submission. That's the call that we have for Christ because here's the last thing we're going to see. Until you're willing to admit who you are without God, you can never become who you were meant to be with God. Have mercy on me. I certainly don't deserve it. I'm certainly unworthy of it. But I want to challenge you today. You need Jesus. Call on his name. He sees you. He hears you. He stops. And he saves. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.